VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Will Kelleher and you're listening to our special series examining just what it takes to win the Rugby World Cup in the company of those who have been there and done it. We'll take you from 1987 to 2019 through the eyes of great world champions ahead of the 10th World Cup in France this autumn. We'll hear their memories and stories, anecdotes and insights, all with the goal of answering one simple but devilish question. How do you win the World Cup? So join us on a rugby journey to whet your appetite for France with Legends of the Game. This time on How to Win the World Cup, we're tackling two tournaments in one, 2011 and 2015, the unparalleled era of dominance from the mighty All Blacks. In 2011, William and Kate tie the knot as the King's Speech wins four Oscars. India hoist Sachin Tendulkar high as they win the Cricket World Cup in Mumbai and the final Harry Potter film is released. New Zealand is heavy with expectation and racked with nerves as they host the World Cup, a competition they incredibly haven't won since 1987. It's tense and tight, but white bait fisher come goal kicker Stephen Donald is the last fly half standing to hit a penalty and the All Blacks beat France at Eden Park. The auspicious score? 8-7. Their dominance continues through 2015, with New Zealand losing just three times and drawing twice in 54 tests over four years. While top gear splits from Clarkson, May and Hammond, Wayne Rooney scores his record-breaking 50th England goal and Justin Bieber tops the charts, the All Blacks keep on winning. Their run takes them to the top of the tree again, beating Australia at Twickenham to become the first team to win World Cups back-to-back. At the centre of the black wash, and in the centre for both tournaments, was Conrad Smith. So, from the Times and the Sunday Times, this is a Ruck special, how to win the World Cup with Conrad Smith. Right, so Conrad Smith, a great pleasure having you on this special ruck. Let's start with the easiest question of all. It's the title of the podcast, after all. How do you win the World Cup, Conrad Smith? <laughs> oh, um, finally, if only I could give you a simple answer. Um, <laughs> oh, look, my, my first thought that came into me was, was a lot of, 
lot of hard work and a, and a bit of luck, probably. That's um, that's probably the the honest answer. It's uh, you know I think being fortunate enough to win to win two of them, um, being involved in three though. So seeing the other side in in '07, it was certainly um, you know the times the times we won was after a lot of preparation, a, a really strong group of players, and um, you know and, and an ounce of luck. I, I think you need things to go your way, and whether that's because you in a high performance environment, you probably think that the luck comes your way because you've earned it, or there's rugby gods that smile on you. But uh, there's certainly an element of that, that that comes in every time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we'll try and find an answer by the end of our chat, but why don't we lay some context for our listeners who might not remember everything about 2011 and 2015, your two wins. So, I mean, I suppose for everyone else in the world it was sort of this remarkable thing that the All Blacks weren't winning World Cups because you pretty much always the number one team in the world, always the best team in the world between World Cups for a long time, but hadn't won one since 87, the first one. So how heavily did that weigh on you guys, maybe particularly after 07 with getting knocked out to France in Cardiff and all the controversy around the forward pass and everything? How did, how did it feel as a, as a New Zealander with that on your back? Yeah, it was, uh, and it was probably you know a lot of the work that we did was was confronting that. Um, and when I look back to eleven, I think most of them in that group realised how beneficial it was that we'd been through two thousand and seven. We we kept the same coaching group. There was a large player group um, that had stayed together, and I think that worked in our favour because all the work we were doing on the field we knew wasn't enough. And so one of the first things we did in preparation for 2011 was look at the reason why, why we weren't winning World Cups. We'd had great All Black teams and a lot of us, as I say, had been there in 07. We knew we had a great team. Still look back, it's probably one of the best teams I was involved in. No one remembers it like that. They knocked out (laughs) in the quarters. But honestly, it was an incredible team. And so, so what was it that was making us um, come unstuck? And and I think we we recognised just the uniqueness of the World Cup and how it was completely different to any other tournament, and how we as an All Black unit weren't recognising that. So we we were going into World Cups, and we weren't arrogant at all, but we were confident, and we and we just trusted what we'd done because we'd won Bledisloe's, we'd won Tri Nations as they were then, we'd won. You know, most things that we were confronted with. So we thought, oh, this will work again. But it wasn't. This was something, a totally new beast. And it was becoming more and more like that, you know, World Cups in, in the 87. It was, the, the beast has evolved and, and there was a lot more hype around them. And we, we just had recognised that. So to come into 2011, as I say, I think that was uh, one of the key things that we did as a team wasn't so much the on-field, but that, that recognition of the World Cup, everything that comes with it. And, and so there was a lot of mental preparation as to how we were um, going to deal with that and, and, and approach it differently than what we do to, to other um, tests and other tournaments. So how did you actually go about that? Because the, the modern player, and we're, I don't know, 10 or so years on from that, would look at every week and just say, it's about this week and then it's about next week, it's about today, it's, and then it's about tomorrow. But you there mm. were actively... Uh, addressing the World Cup as this big thing that you needed to nail. So w- at what point in the cycle did you kind of start going, look, we really need to have an adult conversation about this? Yeah, it was probably, and to be like, a lot of the, like you say, you can't, you probably don't get your, the first guy, the young guys in the team to st- talk about that because they're, they're 
they're elsewhere and they're going to follow leaders. So you, you just make sure that leadership group, and really that's where the whole idea of a leadership group really took shape in the all black environment uh, because we realised the importance of those conversations, but equally that we can't have that conversation with everyone in the team. So it was down to a, a sort of a select group the older, more experienced, but but also the influential players uh, that would talk about this, you know, the, the idea of the World Cup, what it required, and, and mainly it was just the recognition that it was different, there were different pressures, how that was going to influence, how that influenced teams, how that influences referees, how that influences the crowd, the media, and how it all, you know, m- makes up and, and just what we could do, some of it you can't control, but what you can control, and and, and how you go into that. And then once that leadership group had a good feel for that, spent some time processing that, then, yeah, we, we sort of just let that transfer onto the, the wider squad. Yeah, I suppose it must have focused the mind as well that it was a home World Cup. It was your World Cup. It was, I don't know, the expectation and everything was probably absolutely through the roof. And it was maybe a sense of, we've got to get it done this time. Was that fair? Yeah, yeah, I, I um I think that's completely clear. I, I think, you know, given the, the number of missed opportunities and the fact that the group um had been together, as I say, through that disappointment, maybe I'd like to think it would have happened that, that way anywhere, but um you're right, like there was added pressure around it being at home. There was probably an added sense that, you know, we we've got to get this <laughs> we've got to get this right for, for ourselves and and for all you know, the support that that we receive, it was uh, yeah, it was a real, it was a real feeling of duty through that World Cup, and a lot of guys used that word, and um, yeah, I, I sort of uh, I understand where it, why we used it. I think, but that, that's the funny thing because for us, maybe who live up the other end of the world and look at the All Blacks as this kind of like almost I don't know unhuman bunch of people who are just like supremely talented wear the black shirt that's all scary and different and don't have these kind of human fallibilities but it sounds like you had quite um maybe vulnerable is the wrong word but like a a group that understood the pressures and felt them and rode them and i don't know had to really confront lots of different things about yourselves in the whole thing as well it wasn't it wasn't sort of as serene maybe as other people saw it from the outside yeah, absolutely. And and that's I think the first thing most you know, sports people will tell you that, that what you see there, there's so much more um beneath the surface that goes into whether it's a World Cup performance or a, a goal winning winning performance for an Olympian, you know, there, there's all sorts that uh, goes on behind and and it's not it's never smooth sailing. <laughs> never ever. If it's smooth sailing it would have ended in failure, I guarantee you. Yeah. Um so yeah, for for us it was through 07, and then another important part was 2009. You know, when reflecting on 2011, where we where we lost three in a row to Springbok team, who who had our number, and and it was you know the only time, and I've said this before, but the only time in my career where I actually you know felt we weren't the best in the world. Like we had lost test matches, but we always felt, oh well, if I played you the next week, we'd win. But that Springbok team in 2009, I mean, they beat us three in a row. We we had we did not have the answers, and that was a really vulnerable. Like you talk about more black again, it's it's not an arrogance, but there's always a confidence that goes with us. And but at that time, that was a that was a real low point. But it was the how we came out of that was a big part of sort of 2011 as well. Yeah. So when we get to 11 itself, I mean, the pool stage was fairly. Um 
serene, lots of big results. I mean, beat Tonga convincingly, beat Japan, Canada convincingly, had a good win against France, Argentina too. But does the wobble come with you all when you start seeing all these people getting injured and losing fly halves or first fives, as you guys would say, out left, right and centre, Dan Carter goes down, Colin Slade, Aaron Crude and Piri Weep, and you start going, God, is this not meant to happen? What's going on? The curse. Yeah, and and but and and funnily, like so that work I I sort of talked about how we had looked at World Cups. The, the thing that came up was that we we couldn't we knew it wasn't going to be smooth sailing to use that term again. We knew things would go wrong, and we wouldn't know what whether it was referees, whether it was uh, a team playing out of their skin in front of us that we wouldn't expect, or or ourselves just having a really bad day. But something would happen, and we didn't talk about injuries. But yeah, <laughs> that was the thing that happened. And so I remember, like, as the injuries were occurring, thinking, and and this was a good thing, and this is why I think I valued the preparation rather than thinking, oh, this is a curse. I was like, this is it. This was our challenge that we knew was going to happen. We we didn't think it would be injuries, but that's what's that's what it is this time. We're we're getting we're getting forced to play a a team that isn't the one we wanted to play or even the second you know string in terms of those positions so that was our approach and it wasn't easy and and I think maybe it was it was impacted by that work we'd done building up but it was just not falling into that negative trap um, and when the injuries happened even when it was Dan and even when it was the third one it was always like okay it's just a challenge if we're going to win this we're going to overcome these types of challenges and and that's the way we um, tried to deal with it. It seems like the world didn't know at the time, but there were more injuries than that. Richie McCaw apparently had a broken foot and it was pretty much swollen yeah. blue and black for the final. And if it, What do you remember of that? Was it strapped together with tape? What was what was going on with Richie's foot? Yeah, I mean, he didn't uh, let on too much, but I mean, he wasn't he wasn't training a lot. We, we knew he was battling because he's, you know, one guy, if, he's, if he can play, he'll, he'll train and he'll... If he can train, he'll he'll give it his all. So, you know, we we knew he had his battles. I mean, Mills is another player, Mills Mulaina, who was our most experienced back, and he um, and sort of people focus on the tens. But I know for myself personally that that was a big loss having him out injured, and and there were others. So you're right, it wasn't just the tens, but um, but we also, as I said before, approached it the same way. I just I wouldn't let myself dwell on it. It was easy to, and I, I, you'd do it for a second or two, but you just had to get into that mindset of moving past it and, and you know, focusing things we can control and looking forward to the to the games ahead. So everyone's heard the uh, the famous white baiting story, Stephen Donald's out fishing and then called out and kicks the goal in the final. But the funnier bit maybe was apparently he was wearing a really tiny shirt. He had a chance to have it tailored differently or something, and said, oh, "I'm I'm going to fit it. Don't worry." And then I actually had to put it on in the World Cup final. It doesn't fit at all. Muffin top coming out. <laughs> well, you, you can see it yourself. That's what I think. You know, these replays that are meant to be the um, you know the folklore in, in New Zealand rugby history, and there he is with his jersey, and he keeps having to pull it down <laughs> over his. Uh, all the most prepared team in the world. Um, Their fly-half doesn't have a shirt that fits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's mad, isn't it? So, to talk oh, us about that final because, yeah, but, again, people were watching it at the dead of night up our way, but the the flying V, France and the Hacker, one of the tightest finals you've ever seen, 8-7, low scoring, Tony Woodcock's try through the middle of the line-out. 
at what point did you think, God, this is not going our way? And then was it the, the relief at the end? Was it joy? How, how did it all play out for you emotionally? Yeah, a, a lot of relief at the end. I, I through the game, it was um, we we knew it wasn't going our way, and again, I feel like I keep harping back to this, but it was we in our preparation we knew there wasn't there was going to be a chance that we weren't you know on song in a game and you hope that you don't get that you certainly hope you don't have that in the final but looking back I mean it was we'd had a semi-final where we played out of our skins like one of the best performances in in my whole career in terms of team performances we were just against Australia uh, yeah yeah we're a team and, and that team we were expecting to meet in the final they'd given us real tough challenges leading up so there was a re- it was an easy game to prepare for the semi-final the final we would beaten the french in the first round we'd seen france lose to tonga we knew all their problems there were talk of it was all playing into their hands you know and i've talked to terry disatoire and that since and it's just one of those games you you know you don't want to fall into that trap of being complacent but but it's hard to to fake, like to genuinely prepare and get up for a game when you've got all these other things that are sort of pulling, relaxing you, and 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 that's the way it played out. You know, there was the injuries as well. It was just nothing was going right, and for us on the field, and you know, compared to the week before. So then it just became a matter of how are we going to guts us out. We knew we weren't going to win early on. I knew we weren't going to win this game by a lot of points. It, it was going to be an arm wrestle, and we just had to find a way, find a way to win this game. And if it was meant with a reserve team kicking a penalty in the last minute, then that's what we'd do. And and that's what we, I think in previous World Cups, that would have made us panic as an all-black team. When things weren't happening, you know, we, we would have, but we didn't. We we actually played pretty conservatively, deliberately, because we, we were like, right, this isn't functioning. We just need to... Um, it's not going to be easy, but but get ourselves over the line, and and so yeah, when we got there, it was it was relief. It was uh, and the whole enormity of the whole thing didn't sink in for a, for a long time. Yeah, I was going to say that because it was a relief, maybe more so than just outright joy. Did it take some time to really realise what you'd done? You've finally done it, and I know you went round the the country, didn't you, on bus tours and things like that, which you did after 2015 too, coming back after that England one, but. How long did it take to kind of finally realise, like, oh my god, we've done it, we did it? Yeah, I, I think a lot, a lot longer. Like those, you know, next few days are pretty bad. Yeah, certainly enjoyable, but um, it's just a, such a well, World Cups are a long campaign. I, you know, I, I struggle at the best of times being in a team environment for too long. You know, I'm pretty someone that I, I enjoy it while it's in, but any chance I get, I get away. Like I, I travelled for three months after that uh, that experience. It was it was just to get my head out of it. Oh, but right. Where I, did I you think... go? Did you go around Europe or something? Did you owe <laughs> oh, a bit late? No, we <laughs> yeah, South America and oh, wow. I was backpacking. I did Machu Picchu within about a week of playing that final. So Amazing. and it was all pre-planned because I knew like win or lose, even if we probably more so if we lost, I wanted to get get out of the country <laughs> and just. Uh, escape so like that that was and and it was probably like during that sort of trip where i'm um and i've talked about before i i i know um some people weren't aware i was a, a player and i was in much i think it was much it was somewhere in south america and they were talking about rugby and they were talking about the all blacks <laughs> and and they talked about how, how great it was and 
I remember sitting and hearing that, and, and I was, uh, it, it might have been that moment for me. I was like, oh, this is, this is cool hearing hearing people talk about, you know, the All Blacks winning a World Cup rather than... In Peru. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and in somewhere, you know, totally distant. So that, yeah, is, that was nice. That is fun, yeah. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So, so when, because obviously we've got you on because you've won two. So, when does it then kick in that you go, right, and now we're going to do it back to back? No one's done that before. And we want not just to win a World Cup, but we want to be, like a lot of your colleagues have talked about, not just being a good All Black, but a great All Black. Where did that all kick in and continuing it on and, I don't know, laying down a sort of unbeatable legacy maybe? You might not have used those words, but that's kind of what you did by winning a second one. Yeah, and, and that, that was certainly part of, it was during that cycle. And, and, and what I said before, like the way World Cups have evolved as a beast, like, Early on, like even when I in 2007, it was sort of a year into 2007, you started talking World Cups. Whereas now it's a, a four year cycle and teams will even, you know, coaches will be employed for four years and they'll have teams they pick in the first year that they plan to be picking in the third or, you know, it's, it's crazy. So by, by 15, we were almost at that stage where I, it was probably. I don't know, again, probably only within the sort of coaching and leadership group that you start planning from 2012 for 2015 and and immediately it was as part of that planning it was the appeal of going back to back winning one away from home and and also um winning one playing really good rugby because we felt you know as good as it was like that eight seven it did it did stick with us a little bit we you know we, we had been great up until then but that wasn't a great performance and i mean we had our reasons we we were down on soldiers we were uh we were struggling but it would be nice you know if we're going to win another one if we're going to go back to back let's play great right let's score tries and um that that was the that was the goal i think going into that um into 2015 yeah so so now that you've had a a few years retired and you're still working rugby do, do you look at that run between the end of 2011 and the end of 2015 i was looking at it you won ninety-one percent of your test matches, and I think you lost three games. And that was it. Three times and drew twice in fifty-four test matches. But did you quite? Because you're going week to week and everything else, you probably don't look at it as a whole. But now, now you can. Do you just go? That is ridiculous, and probably never going to be repeat, repeated. Yeah, you're right. I, I think at the time we definitely, um, like, we were aware and, and we enjoyed every win we had. We would never 
you know, a team that sort of had a win and, and just looked at negatives. We, we made sure we um, celebrated everyone. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there's no doubt um, I look back now and, and probably appreciate it a whole lot more than what I did at, at the time. And, and I, th- I think that's natural. Like, as a player, you're as good as you play, especially in that all-black environment, you just... Like and it's funny you mentioned the losses. Like I, I remember, I, I won't remember those wins, but I remember every loss. Go on then, talk <laughs> us even, through them. Even the games we, what were the defeats? Go on, let's do them. <laughs> Let me find them. No, I think and, a, and that's what the England one was. People up this way will remember in 2012. Well, that, that's an easy one. Yeah, Australia 2015. A, a just before a the World Australia Cup. that that cost us a so and I and I left that to be with my wife for the birth of my son and the team and the team drew and missed out on a world record of consecutive wins and they all blame me. <laughs> <laughs> brutal. Brutal. But that but that's I mean, I suppose that's uh, yeah. Do you do you look at it and go and it sounds arrogant, but it maybe it's the way you need to think that at the time there were things written about the All Blacks saying that that this desperation to be the most dominant team in rugby history was part of it. Was that true? Was that something that you did talk about and just say, we want to not just be known as decent All Blacks and good players, we want to be the best that's ever been? Yeah, I, I think there was an element of that. But I, I think the important part was that we knew that was... We talked about it as an as a aspiration, as a goal, and that something we would we'd never achieve, but there was real strength and pursuing it if you know what I mean and, mm. and so that that way you don't ever get arrogant and you don't think you are and that, that's a big difference you know when you think you're the best of all time you know I think you're missing the point but if you're aspiring to be that way mm. then that and that's guiding you and the way you train the way you play the way everything you do you know that, that's what we were trying to do and, and and it was led a large extent again by you know our skipper and and the coaching group at the time and and I suppose the leadership group that that were all pretty united and those um those goals for, for the whole group and and that's really what what drove the team to do those sort of special things over that period of time I think it's something a lot of players talk about is the the, the desperation or the the goal of always trying to play the perfect game and you probably never actually get there do you of thinking that was absolutely perfect but do you think you got close in 2015? I mean, the one I actually went to, I was, it was my first year as a journalist, but I just went along as a fan to the, the France quarterfinal in Cardiff, laying to rest yeah. all of those 07 demons, 60 points, Julian Savea hat-trick. Yeah. From an outsider's yeah. perspective, that felt pretty perfect. But what, what would be yours? I mean, obviously winning the final, but that was pretty sensational, that one. I think that game, that quarterfinal, that, the semi-final I mentioned before, um, there was a game in 2010 where we beat South Africa in Eden Park after they had, you know, had our number in 2009, which I talked about before. They'd, they'd be, they'd be games, and and again, not all of them you, you score the most points, but just ones where from the first minute, I don't know, there was it was just a real feeling in the team that this was we were all we had all turned up to play play our best games ever. And I, I remember even that quarterfinal, French were actually playing really well. But and and we 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 I think the score was still pretty close, probably 20, 30 minutes into the game. But I just kept thinking we're gonna, you know, that this is incredible. Everything <laughs> we were 
doing every player was doing taking the right option we were all seeing the same thing we were just humming it doesn't happen often but and when it does you again you don't relax during the game and think oh we're, we're amazing but it is something there's a definite sense that um it's all going to plan and uh you don't often get it and when it is it's pretty special so uh yeah i'd, I'd put that quarterfinal in that sort of select group for for myself anyway so that, so then the final and again outsider's perspective you've got some of the greats of the game all retiring on their shields with a world cup gone back to back that can't get much better can it i mean for you dan carter richie mccaw man nonu tony woodcock kevin Mirlamu, last game in an all-black shirt world cup final at twickenham lifting the web ellis trophy like had, had you had you talked about it at all but as, between the few of you to say we're going to retire, we're, we're all planning the same thing, or was it just completely like don't mention it because otherwise we'll think about what's coming next rather than what's coming now? Yeah, no, I, I, it wasn't sort of in between that. Like we we definitely didn't sort of make it about ourselves because yeah, none yeah. of us, you know, individually would ever wanted to go down that route. And you know, we all sat at the back of the bus together by that stage. We were all <laughs> the most experienced, so there were plenty of conversations. So we, I mean, we were all aware that we were moving on but you're all such different journeys you know like some like Richie was that was it Martin myself was sort of going to continue on in France Dan you know we were all doing our own thing. Mar's still playing um, still going isn't he yeah Mar's still <laughs> he made it clear even then he would play as long yeah. as he could he was <laughs> <laughs> nothing was going to make him hang up his boots but um so yeah I I, uh, I think we there was I think it was inside all of us but it wasn't definitely wasn't a team thought and and I've said before it actually uh is a really good way to go out because you because it's a world cup you can't possibly think about yourself like you it, it doesn't happen whereas I mean I, I played my last game in in France my last proper game and I, I was a wreck because it was a it was just a, a regular season match um and and you know I got really emotional and because of all these things like suddenly I'm Whereas with the All Blacks, it, because it was a World Cup final, it was uh, right. It's a World Cup final. We need to win a World Cup final. The, mm. the the idea that it was also your last match was sort of something that was bubbling on the side, but certainly not front of mind. And and that's the way it was, I think, for all of us. So how how different is the party in fifteen than than after eleven? You're all four years older. You've got a long flight home. <laughs> There's always that yeah. story of old Ashes cricket tours where they try and do the challenge of drinking as many cans of beer as possible. Was there any of that going on on the on the Big Bird back home? <laughs> no, sadly, I I don't know. Uh, I know. I know the stories about cricket games. I don't know. They're just different beasts than rugby players. But uh, <laughs> like I said before, the, the idea is great because you're at the, but you're just exhausted. Like those campaigns are so long. I know. Like you have a. You definitely enjoy yourselves. You have a, a night out, but I, I think everyone's sort of just at the end of their tether and they're wanting to, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's over the Christmas period for, for most of us that we sort of uh, celebrate a bit more. I mean, and especially when it was in London, I think we uh, we didn't fly straight away, but we had the World Rugby Awards the next day and sort of go through that and then jump on the plane, get back, and there were parades and, it, it was a it was a long few days, and it was definitely celebrating, but uh, there was also a lot of sleeping and <laughs> a lot of rest. That's the way I remember it. So I, I suppose we should we should end where we started then, 
And while you've been chatting to us, I've been writing down a few sort of buzzwords and maybe we could, I don't know, try and come up with an answer. How do you do it? So a lot of hard work, a lot of learning off past failures for you guys. Not It's not smooth sailing, disaster planning, bit of luck. What are we settling on? How do you do it? Or how did you guys do it, do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's um, somewhere in there you, you've, you've got an answer. <laughs> you, you need um, you need a pretty special, you, you need talent, like you need good players. But, but you certainly the, the leadership is a, is a big thing. It's it's like any team, you know, you, you you're going to struggle to get a lot of uh, success without those two elements. And then I, I think recognition of of a World Cup of what it's about. And you look at this World Cup, even there's not a lot of World Cup experience within the favourite teams, you know. And that's uh, I, I think that's something that they can't do anything about. But I, I think it is still something they need to put a lot of thought to because it can trip you up because these games will be different than the ones that they've won up until now. Totally different. You know, they, they think they would have had pressure to Six Nations, but, yeah, this is a whole new, as I say, beast. And uh, that that's that's really important, some preparation um, in terms of that across the team, just to, to acknowledge um, how unique a, a World Cup is and, and the ability to, to deal with that. So, and that, that really does fall, I, I think, on on the leadership and the, the senior members of the team. So sorry to throw it into this World Cup. I don't know if this is a focus, but it's uh, it, it makes it really interesting, this World Cup. But knowing the all-black mindset as you do, do you think that as much as they would have wanted to win a lot in the last four years, it might help them in some ways, that there's more eyes looking elsewhere, there's less pressure maybe, there's less the sort of, well, it's obviously going to be the All Blacks kind of talk around it, whether they ignore it or listen to it or not. Yeah. And also on the other side, maybe beware the All Blacks who are slightly under the radar, perhaps. I mean, you can never really be under the radar as an All Black, but you know what I mean? It's not the same as 11 and 15, <laughs> is it? Or even 19, yeah, yeah. maybe. I agree. Yeah, you know, I, I I agree with that. And I think um, I think it will be beneficial. But like, like a lot of these things, that it's how you use that to your in your advantage. So I think it is something they can definitely use. And I think it can motivate them. But I don't think they're going to catch many other teams by surprise, as you say. And the, the truth is that this will be the hardest challenge for an all-black team. Like I say that honestly, like as... as much as proud as I am of our achievements, I don't think we ever played in a time where the rugby was as competitive as it is now. And you know that that's just the the reality of the, what the way the rugby is is the quality of the teams in the north that that we um, probably didn't have at, at our time. Hopefully, that's not coming across as being disrespectful, but it was just when I played, it was there was a fear of teams in the north, but mainly the Australians. You know, and, mm. and South Africa, whereas now I know the group, I, I think, think that way more about you know, the Irish and French and, and, and even the other teams are dangerous. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very much a, a different tournament, which is which is great. Well, that's that's interesting because I don't know whether you'd agree with this, but maybe the sort of haranguing over the defeats over the last couple of years might be misplaced then. If you're saying that the scene is better across the world, so losing one or two or three or four in a year is by your old standards, a complete disgrace, basically, because you didn't do that. But for this group, it's a different scene around the world, maybe. Is that fair? Yeah, that's my view, absolutely. And it might be impacted a little bit by you know my being in Europe for a long time, mm. and so I was exposed a lot more and seeing the rugby up north and probably got a you know new appreciation and, um, and, and was it, yeah, just exposed to the 
the growth even at, at the domestic club level that, that I saw while I was up there. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that's um, you know, definitely my view about the the recent form of, of, of the All Blacks that it's no small part down to actually the, how much better quality the, the teams in the North are, play, um, are and how they're playing. Well, look, Conrad, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've taken loads of your time, but really appreciate it. We've run through 2011, we've run through 2015, double World Cup wins. You, can, you went out on your shield in the perfect way and that you handled all the pressure and everything else. So awesome to have you and, and thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Not a problem. It's always, it's always nice reliving these memories, so any time. So there you go. That's how to win not just one, but two World Cups back-to-back from Comrade Smith. It's about treating the World Cup as a different tournament. It's about learning from your past failures. And it does help to have some of the greats of the game all playing at the same time in your team. You've been listening to a Ruck podcast special, How to Win the World Cup. Like and subscribe, spread the word, and follow the times on social media at Timesport. This podcast was produced by Alfie Reynolds. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.